Welcome to Quanta Magazine's podcast. Each episode, we bring you stories about developments in science and mathematics. I'm Susan Vallett. Let's hop into a time machine. It's March of 1914. We're in the town of Hanford, California. A few people get sick. Then over the next month, nearly 100 more follow. They're shivering with fever. Blood tests show they have typhoid. Turns out all of them had been exposed on the same day. They'd all eaten at a church function March 17th, all served food made by the same woman. Disease reports will end up calling her Mrs. X. Investigators discovered she was a carrier of typhoid, despite never knowingly having symptoms. So if the townsfolk were exposed to the pathogen at the same time, why didn't they all get sick at the same time? That question has long percolated through the medical literature on the incubation time of diseases. It took on an extra wrinkle in 1950 when epidemiologist Philip Sartwell reviewed the literature, including the report on the 1914 typhoid outbreak. He noted that the incubation times for many diseases, including polio, malaria, and chickenpox, seemed to show similar patterns. They didn't follow a normal distribution, what statisticians call a bell curve, as you'd expect if what caused the differences were regularly distributed across the population. Instead, the graphs usually had a long tail to the right, showing that many patients took a surprisingly long time to become sick. Plus, the distributions often appear to be what's called log-normal. That can happen when the numbers being plotted are the result of multiplicative processes rather than additive ones. It seemed like a weird thing for diseases that biologically had almost nothing to do with each other to have in common. You might think the reason why some fall ill in a day while others take weeks seems likely to be connected to the differences in immune systems or exposure to the disease. What we know as the beginning of getting sick, the scratchy throat, the drippy nose, is really our immune system trying to combat the invading pathogen rather than the pathogen itself. And we don't all get the same dose of that pathogen either. Touching a doorknob might expose you to far more or less than getting sneezed on. But these are qualitative explanations that don't necessarily produce the observed distribution. If we understood what drives those statistics, maybe we could get ahead of diseases. A physician scientist and a pair of mathematicians are interested in the dynamics of how sick cells take over networks of healthy ones. They've discovered a mathematical model of the process that produces this distribution and relies only on geometry and chance. They didn't start out by focusing on infections. Their model began as a way to think about the spread of tumor cells, but they suspect it could inspire some new thinking about why this happens. Applying their model to infections might be pushing it. Its details don't fit well with the biology of many pathogens, but their work highlights that current ideas about the distribution of incubation periods don't always hold up well to mathematical scrutiny either. Jacob Scott is a radiation oncologist and mathematical biologist at the Cleveland Clinic. He says he and his two co-authors on the paper were initially considering how cancer spreads through a tissue. 
In experiments in which the trigger for a cancer's development is known, the length of time for symptoms to appear falls along a log-normal distribution rather than a bell curve. They wondered whether the geometry of tissue structures might hold a clue. Scott says they're just starting to scratch the surface of how to study tumors from a spatial perspective in a sensible way, so they created a model to explore the question. To understand their model, think of hundreds of cells packed together. Each cell touches its neighbors, and each of the neighbors touches its own neighbors, and so on, forming a kind of network. When any cell dies, one of its neighbors replicates itself to fill the gap. Now imagine an invading cell arrives on the scene. As host cells die, neighboring host cells and invaders all compete to fill the available openings with copies of themselves before the other can. How long it takes the invaders to conquer the whole network depends partly on how good they are at seizing real estate. If you run this scenario repeatedly and plot the varying times it takes to complete, you get a curve that closely resembles a log-normal distribution. That distribution happens for a couple of reasons. When the invaders are much stronger than the host cells, as in aggressive cancers, for instance, the invaders soon gain a healthy share of the territory. But then they run into a problem. Their only remaining neighbors are usually other invader cells, not hosts. With so few host cells left, the invader's spread slows dramatically. It can then take a long time for them to root out the last host cell, generating that long skew to the right in the distribution. Even if the host and invader cells are equally fit and their competitions for space are decided randomly, the researchers saw that sometimes the invaders can eventually take over. And then, too, the times to completion fall along a curve that approximates a log normal. The results of the researchers' model suggest that this distribution can arise from something as simple and universal as the fact that cells exist in space with one another, and an invader must grapple with that arrangement as it spreads. The researchers began to realize that the cancer model they were developing might have more widespread relevance. They then discovered Philip Sartwell's old paper on incubation times. The connection to infectious diseases clicked into place. Infectious organisms might not be replacing host cells, but their spread could be limited by the availability of uninfected cells in tissues. Disease symptoms might manifest only after the invaders took over a certain amount of a tissue network, and that time would vary between individuals along the curve Sartwell observed. Biologists familiar with infectious disease might point out that the specifics of this model don't correlate easily with the natural world. A process by which host cells have to die to make room for invaders is plausible for some cancers. It might also make some sense in the context of a bacterial infection in the gut, where local microbial inhabitants are killed or just outcompeted by invaders. Or it might not. But it doesn't reflect how viral infections often spread, with viruses building copies of themselves inside infected cells and then exploding outward to infect many neighbors at once. Katia Cole is a theoretical ecologist at Emory University who studies the population dynamics of viruses. She says it's disappointing because many viral infections do seem to have log-normal distributions for their incubation times. 
She calls taking mathematical approaches to these unsolved patterns an incredibly interesting and worthwhile endeavor. But the fact that the model doesn't look comparable to virus biology makes it unsatisfying. The model's authors readily admit its shortcomings when it comes to biological plausibility. But they also make the case that immunological explanations for infections' varied incubation times would not lead to the distributions we see. One of the authors, Stephen Strogatz of Cornell University, says if you assume that the only variability in the host community is that people have different immune systems, then such a model produces a left-skewed distribution, which is contrary to what Sartwell saw. By the way, Strogatz is on the advisory board for Quanta. Many researchers cite Sartwell's 1950 paper when they need to explain why they assume that a disease's incubation time will show a log-normal distribution. But Benjamin Althaus, a computational epidemiologist at the Institute for Disease Modeling in Washington State, says no one seems to have done much to explain why that happens, which medical researchers really need to know. He says if you know what's driving the incubation period, you can invent interventions. Sam Scarpino is a computational epidemiologist at the Network Science Institute at Northeastern University. He collaborates often with Althaus. Scarpino says with influenza, there's a pretty narrow window for when antivirals can be deployed to have a measurable effect. If that window varies a lot between individuals because of these incubation period effects, understanding why they happen will be crucial. It's possible that the disease's similar incubation distributions might have multiple explanations that coincidentally converge in effect. As Scott and his colleagues noted in their paper, if a pathogen grows exponentially and a population receives a statistically normal distribution of exposures to it, then there should be a log-normal distribution of incubation times. The arrangement of cells in the tissues would be irrelevant. For their part, Scott Strogatz and Bertrand Otino Luffler, a grad student at Cornell, hope that others with more expertise in infectious diseases will see their paper and become curious about these curves. They published previous work on the subject in a physics journal. This time, they chose to submit to eLife, a well-regarded biology journal. They hope immunologists, epidemiologists, and others will want to test whether it fits with real-life data, or better yet, come up with a better explanation themselves. Michelle Yoon helped with this episode. I'm Susan Ballot. For more on this story, read Veronique Greenwood's full article, Why Don't Patients Get Sick in Sync? Modelers Find Statistical Clues, on our website, quantamagazine.org. Also, the MIT Press is publishing two quanta books, Alice and Bob Meet the Wall of Fire and The Prime Number Conspiracy. Order them now at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, or your local bookstore. Mm-hmm.